third batch of my pool beer. Except this is the one that is a little bit of a mystery because I have no idea what the mash temperature was. And uh, not a mystery, but it's just different in that instead of doing two dry hops, dry hoppings, <laughs> I did one and combined uh, both of them into one, basically. You really dry hopped that one, didn't you? Yep. <clears throat> <laughs> but I think it's it's still, as as Brian pointed out, it's still <laughs> what I call a little green. It, I kegged it, I think, a weekend ago, last weekend. So it's not ripe yet. Um, yeah, I guess you could say that. It's It hasn't really, it needs a, about a, probably another week or two just time to condition in the keg. But I still think it's fine, though. That's why I'm drinking it. I don't hate it. It's, it's good to me. Oh, that was an excellent compliment, John. <laughs> I don't hate we it. Were, when we were in, um, <laughs> actually, we were in Paso Robles and... Or Paso Robles. Mm-hmm. And we're talking to a winemaker, and he was talking about how some of these people that come in, they give him the strangest compliments. Um, <laughs> one of them was, yeah, this is this is palatable. <laughs> or, or just, you know, the, the, also the, yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, when you, when you say it twice, that that's twice the compliment. I guess so. <clears throat> well... So Sarah gets a little irritated with me because I I have this thing I do and I think she misinterprets it. <clears throat> I might have mentioned this before, so sorry if I did. But like, um, if she's has cooked something or made something that I think is like quite good, sometimes what I'll say is, "Wow, that's pretty good." And she's and and to me, that's that's the way of saying like it's uh, it's I don't know. You have to take it in, in the in the idiom that it is. It doesn't mean that's just a little good. It actually means that it's quite good. But she's looking at the literal words, which I guess pretty good means partially good if you break it down. See, the way I see it is all women are mathematicians and they have the weird way of calculating <laughs> words into action or meaning yes. that I just I yeah. can never unravel. Logicians. Like my wife, she 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 not only like analyzes my words, but she analyzes my facial expressions. So I have to I have to watch my facial expressions because that that means something too. You know what they say, we communicate more with body language than words. What am I saying right now? (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to know. I can't say it. Can't say it on the air. Hey, John, don't forget about titles. I already have one. Um, Good. Well, uh, I know we have some follow-up. Do you want to jump into some of that? Let's. Is it my follow-up or your follow-up? Well, I know there was the follow up about some of your talk last week about the type of work that's going to be available for you to do once uh, I don't know the, the, either the draggy droppy takes over or if you listen to Peter Coffey you know none of us will have jobs because Einstein will do all the development and customization yeah, for us. Yeah I can't even say I'm being unreasonable here because Peter Coffey himself is saying yeah you're yeah. not going to have a job stop it <laughs> don't worry about it right no, don't get me started on Mr. Coffee. <laughs> no, I was, I was, uh, I was encouraged. I was, uh, I, I kind of felt like I, I did put myself out there, and I was a little nervous because I, I wasn't sure if I was going to come off as whiny or, I don't know, just oversharing or whatever. So I was, I was, I was glad that a few people could, could relate to some of the things I was feeling and, and offered some, some advice. Uh, some of the, some things, some things that were advised is, it's almost like they were saying, get a hobby, <laughs> hmm. and maybe I do. I mean, there, there's some people. Uh, recommending like Arduinos or Ardinos or whatever you want to call them, um, and just tinker, tinker around and do something, and and you know get some satisfaction out of that. And you know what? I, was, I realized I kind of haven't had a hobby in a while. I've focused so much on 
staying billable because when you're working hourly, it doesn't scale. So the only way you're going to get more money is by working more hours. <clears throat> or raising your rates. Or raising your rates, which is tough to do. Yep. Um, and so I went the route of working more hours and I kind of stopped doing all my hobbies. And I think I did that to my detriment because I, I did I did a honeydew this weekend. I don't know. Do you know what honeydew is? <clears throat> That's a delicious melon. <laughs> It's a it's a it's a chore list that I haven't gotten to in forever. Everyone knows what honeydews are, and uh, <laughs> I've been living under a rock. For well, I don't know. Forty years. I don't know. You got like maids and stuff to do stuff for you. You're like baller. <laughs> I have no maid whatsoever. <laughs> no Mr. house baller. cleaners. Those that, that was that was that was back in the good old days. <laughs> Before there was four billion developers. Yes, <laughs> can afford it. Yep. Uh, no, but I, I, I had to hang, I had to put new numbers on our house because the old numbers, you couldn't even see them. It was, it was dangerous. And, you know, mm. People couldn't find our house. <laughs> That's dangerous. I consider well, that a win. Well, if emergency, emer, emergency, emergency personnel needs to find our house, they need to see the numbers. Anyways, it's been on my list to do forever. And I finally got around to doing it this weekend. And the process at which I did it was very methodical. I actually had to drill holes in the house and I was really nervous about drilling holes in my house. Um, the, the, Previous numbers on there were kind of just stuck on with silicone, so I just I was able to rip those off. So at least there was nothing, no holes for me to seal, but I had to make new holes. Um, but I learned a lot from that process and just doing it and testing and checking my work over and over. And it actually helped me solve a problem that I was working on in code, which is weird. Just the fact that I was just doing something different and not even thinking about code, not even thinking about anything else. And even the way that I was approaching that process... I applied that to my problem, the way I was approaching it, and it seemed to help. And I know that sounds vague, but <clears throat> it just helped. And I just realized, you know, I do need to do more things outside of my computer, outside of sitting in front of a computer or in front of a TV or even, I mean, I, I go out to the park with my kids and stuff like that, but I think I need to have something, some kind of hobby that's intellectually stimulating, I think, because I think that'll help get the creative juices flowing. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, don't tie, know. tie that back, though, to your concern about not necessarily you don't like what you do or whatever, just that you may not be able to do what you do in the future because it, there will not be a market need for that anymore. Yeah, and that, that's that's the ultimate point. I, I think, you know, in that discussion, I was kind of coming at it from a lot of different angles and there, there are some things about today that aren't satisfying to me. Uh, and that's fine. I feel like I can work through those and there, there are things I can do to kind of, you know, change my mindset on that. But ultimately, my ultimate argument is that as... The platform improves, and as things get better, and there's more options for drag for drag and drop. I'm trying not to say drag and droppy. As there's more options and more functionality, there's less t- interesting work for me to do because most of it will be declarative, or most of it will be done point and click. And and whatever's left of interesting projects, I'm going to be competing with really big partners and companies with huge marketing budgets and a ton of people to to throw at the problem. And so that's where my kind of concern of, well, what's going to be left? I'm one guy. I'm just a guy that likes to program and wants to offer my my uh, my skill set. Um, is there going to be work for me? Is there going to be a job for me? And 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 I'm not saying that there's not going to be work and there's not it's it's all doom and gloom. I'm just saying is the work that is going to be available either attainable for me, and then if it is attainable, is it something that's going to be interesting? You know, is it something that I really should continue to put all my eggs in the basket, you know, continue to invest more effort into learning all about the platform and all the new stuff that's coming out? Or should I, you know, expand a little bit and get into more things and, you know, learn other, maybe not so much learn other languages, but try to master other languages and make my, my offering there? Yeah. 
Well, there's probably no mastering, but I hear, I hear, I get your point. <clears throat> so that's my thought process. I mean, I, I think, I, you know, I think it's, it's not, it's, it's more rhetorical than anything. It's not something I expect anyone to come back and say, oh, well, here's what you need to do, or here's how you solve that. It's just this thought process that I have, this journey, this experience that I'm having at this moment in my life that I'm just, you know, pondering. Well, so one of the points that Chuck made, which I thought was a good one, was that, I mean, one way to 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 view, I think, these advances in in all the tooling and technology, whether it's point and click stuff or coding or whatever, is that was it? It's um, it's increasing our, I guess, our level or our, of abstraction. We're moving up the stack. Where while it's while we're commoditizing certain things, we're enabling other things that weren't possible before. And so you still need people who have, you know, significant skill to wield these newer capabilities. And I, I get that. And uh, just to kind of put some background on this, he, Jeremy's talking about our Slack channel where Chuck kind of responded. And he, he wrote this really long, really well thought out paragraph. <laughs> and I responded some on the thread, and I'm kind of responding to some of it here. Well, since you mentioned the Slack channel, John, for for those who are listening, <laughs> and we know there's a lot of them, who aren't in the Slack channel, don't know how to get there, what should they do? They should go to gooddayserpodcast.com forward slash community, or just go to gooddayserpodcast.com and click on community. Uh, enter your email address. That'll send your email directly to me, and I have to manually create a share, but I'm happy to do that for you. Because we're not programmers. We don't know how to script things. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, because I want... Because there's you know, no... If you there's, Google there's really this... No, if you, no, if you Google, there's... there GitHub has like a thousand different scripts you can pick from that people have created. I know, there. but it's... It, for me, I'm trying to... It's not so much intimate. I just want to be able to review the, what's coming through because I don't have like any kind of... That's right. We don't want it automated, right? Yeah, I don't want to catch We're old it. school. I don't want to... I want to <laughs> know who's coming in and, and I really should do a better job about welcoming people as they join, but... Um, I try to. I try to give yeah. them like a little good day, sir, hat. Yeah. All right. So back to the, what was happening in Slack. I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> well, he has some good points about, you know, how, you know, we don't have to worry about writing to memory anymore. That's all handled for us. And so now we've kind of moved up in the stack in terms of what, we, what we're delivering and what we're working on, this, the problems that we're trying to solve. Uh, and that's fine. I get that. Um, and that, that, but that kind of leads back to what we talked about before, which is me focusing more, my attention more on solutions versus the technology that I'm using, focusing more on, you know, a problem and how can I solve that problem using, you know, whatever tools or resources I have available to me versus I am a Salesforce developer. I am a React developer. I am a a WordPress developer, you know, focusing less on, on that box and more on the types of problems that I can help solve. Yeah, and that's interesting because there is that strategy of like whatever the new thing is. Like I'm I'm the Vue.js expert, right? And so go create a shop. Just like, you know, ThoughtBot created, started up as like the first, you know, Ruby on Rails shop, right? And mm-hmm. they really rode that wave. And um, I think Pivotal did something similar. And there's shops that have, that have, uh, that are like the, um, oh, the, uh, the, the, the closure right. shop or the Scala shop or whatever. There's all these, you know, you can you can latch on to something that's about to take off, and you can easily become known early on for an expert in that thing. Right. But the downside is, is you're the expert in that particular technology, which will definitely. I mean, nowadays, I mean, you see these technologies. I mean, think of even just uh, well, just an example of one. I, mean, I feel like bots is one that. 
I feel like that's already peaked. <laughs> and it maybe hasn't because I, I think I think bots will stick around. I mean, they're going to get better and better and and getting back to people not. I mean, there will be no humans to interact with customers anymore. It's just all bots are going to be really good and we're going to be okay with that because because they will be good. I don't know. I think there's a certain part of me that in, that uh, I say this. <laughs> I, I say that there's a certain part of me that kind of wants that personal touch, but then a lot of times I like you'd I, rather I, have cheap. Bit, bit. I, I like yeah. I will I will not order pizza from a place unless I can do it with a point and click website. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and if you know, if you want everyone, to, someone to hold your hand at every step of the process, you know, you're gonna you're gonna pay a thousand extra bucks for your MacBook Pro, and you're gonna pay twenty extra bucks for you know. Uh, a portable hard drive or whatever. You're just, you, it's too, it's unaffordable. No one wants, you know, it's great to think that, oh, I, you know, I like to be a human person, whatever, interactive. But I mean, the reality is like no one's willing to pay for it. So case closed. Anyway. Um, yeah. And I saw, I mean, who else? There were some other interesting comments. Uh, I don't know if people really necessarily want to throw their names around. So I won't name anyone else. <clears throat> but someone said, you know, I can't imagine writing lightning component controllers as flows. Uh, and the, and the code that can be done with flow and process builders is usually something that I just throw to a junior dev anyway, since it's boring. You know, if it's easy and simple enough to be done as a flow or a process builder, then it 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 really shouldn't be done by someone who has a different skill set, mm-hmm. um, a more expensive skill set, or or whatever. Well, true, but I I think I think uh, one of my kind of jumping off points in that discussion was that. You know, but that's how Salesforce is going to market it. They're going to market that you can do all this stuff, and you don't need that coder. And it's it, you know, uh, so, you don't have to so, hire that, so on that two hundred dollar an hour. Yeah. Well, on one hand, we know that's not that's not true. That's just Salesforce spewing their marketing BS, which they're absolutely. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, this we, is we know that, but we, know. We, there are plenty of people signing I, checks who no, I know. fully buy into it. Well, that's why I said that's there's there, okay. We know that, right? Um, and we know that. I mean. We're basically in a game of psychological warfare with, with yes. Salesforce that we're constantly have to battle. We're battling for truth. We both have truths. Are mine the same as yours? Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. We know it's not true. I mean, and, and I feel like the clients who are, you know, clients or whoever, organizations, whatever you want to call them, who, are sophisticated enough to have th- these complicated problems, like they know it's not true. They know that companies with big marketing budgets and and big marketing departments are always going to spew stuff and don't ever believe it. People know not to believe marketing stuff. Yeah, but those are also the really big guys with a lot of money to throw around, and they'll hire the big Accenture groups and things like that. I mean, I'm talking about like the the mid market guys that that I kind of play in that. Um, they have really complex problems. They don't have big budgets. They don't have money to throw the problems. So when Salesforce says, hey, you can do this with Process Builder, and they go out and do it with Process Builder, and then find out it doesn't scale because their their data volumes grew or you know for some other limitation of the system, and then they have to either hire someone or, worst case, they hired someone, someone did it in Process Builder, and now because it didn't scale, we have to go back in and refactor it with code. I mean, the, the, that's the market that I'm talking about. I mean, the really big guys, the big, you know, enterprise guys who can spend, you know, a million dollars a year on on these projects. Yes, they know. But the other guys, the guys that, that, that we're trying to work with, the small to medium size that have really complex 
problems, but not the budget. And yeah. that's where sa- that's where they feel like Salesforce is going to help them because you can do so much point and click, and you don't have to hire these big developers. And then you find out, oh, sh- now I got to hire the big developer. Well, I mean, so you can market yourself to you know, basically get in, you know, network yourself into these bigger companies. I mean, I've done work for large companies, just as little old me. You just have to know the right people, you know. <clears throat> so that's an option if you want to do work for big companies. So you're saying Actually, I got to dish out the stick and hookers. Exactly. Um, but I mean, I tend to prefer working with the, the smaller companies who just happen to be more happen to be more sophisticated. I mean, there's a company I can think of right now. They're they're a small software company, and so they actually are sophisticated technology wise, and they get it. You know, I, I I pretty much everything I try to you know some clients it's like it's like no matter how much I try to explain even basic things like they just don't get it. You know, and some clients it's like they get they get it all. They like every, whether it's you know whether we should or shouldn't use some technology, or what we be, need to be careful with, what kind of process we need to use. Like, oh yeah, totally. I mean, they just they get it, they get all of that, which is great. And they're a small company, and they also understand the dangers of of you know hiring some uh, someone who just you know doesn't have the 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 right skills, or someone who doesn't know what they don't know. And they're like, oh yeah, we I can build that using process builder oh no we don't need to have test coverage for that i mean i oh, i've seen i've seen I've, the weirdest <laughs> things recently with supposed salesforce developers who um i'll even say the name of the class that was created was code coverage helper <laughs> i remember you showed oh, me did that. i show you that yeah so just this is just the kind of stuff and but again not even necessarily big but just it, it's really more about their level of sophistication than it is about their size they they know to run as fast as they can away from people like that. And so I think they'll always be there. I mean, I don't know, like I said, I mean, we're, we're some of this stuff, as the technology improves and we're operating at a higher level of abstraction, higher up on the stack, I mean, it just that just allows us to do, be more productive, to actually build more solutions with less work. And, and which is great because think about why people use technology. Why do people, why do companies use Salesforce? Well, it's because they can use it as a competitive advantage. They can sell better. They can market better. They can support better. They can have more intelligence on on all their operations, on all their interactions with their customers, right? And people, and, and so if you if you believe that that they, that they're using that as a competitive advantage, then they're always going to be wanting to push that envelope to do it better. I mean, there how many customers, how many companies use Salesforce now? I mean, it's it's highly likely that you might deploy Salesforce thinking that. You're going to get a great advantage of that, and you find out your competitor is too. Mm-hmm. Well, now you just have to do it better than they do it. Well, shit, bit. Dang, we have to do it better. <laughs> we have to do it better than our competitor. That means we have to have better, smarter people who are more experienced and wise, and and are going to be able to build us scalable, smart solutions to things. And that's when they come looking for people like you or me or whoever else thinks they're <laughs> they're capable. And and it's not all about know. you know and that's you know back to rates and things it's not that's when it's like it's not about rates it's about value which also gets back into whether you know we just earlier the the va- you know do you how do you price or do you, does someone does someone care about buying four hours of my time or do they want a problem solved they don't want four hours of my out of my time they want a problem solved right. Well, I, I think that's the right perspective to have is to really focus on the problem that you're solving and try to value yourself and maybe even value the project or even the cost of the project based on on that perceived value. Yeah. I just I, right now I'm stuck in a world of hourly building. I'm stuck in a world where um, 
I don't have a lot of direct access to the flow. I, I don't know how else to say it. The, the way the project. <laughs> you complain about not having enough sound drops, so there's one. You keep saying in a world. <laughs> Do you notice that? Where's in my bell, by the way? I am in a world. Aren't you in a world? Yeah. A world all your own. <laughs> You got to be quicker on them, though. I know. Well, I have to wait for the... I hit the space bar, and it takes like three <laughs> things for three seconds. I don't have a good... On your, Someone needs to on find me. very, very expensive MacBook, no, you hit the space bar, it takes a second to, to load I just heard click. the guy from the... Uh, what is this podcast? Um, ugh. Coder Radio. Coder Radio. That's it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to really try to reactivate some brain cells there. <laughs> he He mentioned it again. They... Like their community built a soundboard app, and I don't. He's he was talking about how great it is, and I, I don't know if it is or not. But someone needs to go find that for me, and she go should just write him up and say, "Hey, I need one." Yeah, share. I'm I'm very skeptical though because I think it actually takes a lot of work to get a soundboard app right. Mm. Anyway, I can imagine. So in your world, John, back to your world. <laughs> <laughs> I lost the train of thought of my yeah, world. See, my I've, world is yeah, sorry. My world is gone. I don't know what point was I trying to make. I, I I I think I was trying to make the point of value and trying to focus on value and, and problem solving. And I think that's really where I need to focus and less about the technology I'm using. And, you know, maybe not so so much. I mean, not not to say that Salesforce isn't going to be a thing for me, just saying I should stop focusing on, on so much on the fact that I consider myself a Salesforce developer and nothing else, at least today. And I should really focus on you know, my yep. collective experience uh, and my collective probably. value that I'm able to offer uh, in terms of just architecting solutions and working with multiple systems and integrating and and even just working out the the mental gymnastics of how to get all that coordinated. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, it seems like there's a certain limiting aspect to saying, oh, I, I do tech, I'm, I'm the guy that does technology X. Now, if you can become known as the guy for technology X, you can probably ride that wave pretty well for a long time, right? But, but that, that that just doesn't sound like a ride that's attractive to me. I mean, to well, say that I am a ex technology guy and and that's all I do and I'm really good at it because that's all I do and um I don't it, it, I I think that's fine for some people who's going down that path. But for me personally, I've never been that kind of path. I guess I guess what I'm saying is I get bored. You know, I when I get into maintenance mode of something, I get bored. You know, I like the challenges of something new. I like the challenges of something difficult. Um, but I get bored when it comes down to maintenance. Well, yeah, which is, I think you're making a lot of points, but that's, I think, yet that is yet another point that is really a separate point. Yeah. I mean, because any technology, you can end up in stuck in maintenance mode. But I think well, that's why I think, I, 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 that's why I think, you know, focusing on on problems and solutions versus technology, I think is... Maybe better fits my personality. Yeah, is what I guess what I'm trying to say. Right. I'm not, I'm not trying to trying to slight or degrade, you know, a technology or or even anyone who wants to pursue that technology and make that their focus. I'm just saying that in this journey where I'm describing how I feel about things and how I feel about the future of Salesforce and my future with Salesforce, I'm torn. But I think if if I, you know, flip things around and just focus on solutions and and delivering solutions versus the technology that I'm using that it'll fit better with my personality and I have a lot more job satisfaction out of it. It's all I'm really trying to say, yeah. I think. No, I get it. And I'm, you know, I'm not dissimilar to that, I think. 
I kind of feel the same way. And I'd also, I, I, I don't know. I, I think if you are like, if you're the Salesforce guy, then, then you'll, you'll get a lot of this, you know, people coming to you saying, oh, well, that's great because, you know, I've got a trigger that I need you to build, right? So this is, now you're in a situation where, you know, the client already has what they think is a nail and they think that you're the guy with the best hammer. And so it's a low value transaction. Yeah. Um, I'd much rather be the guy that the company calls and says, Wow, yeah, um, Jeremy, we need your help. You, we know we want to do this with our business, but we know we're we're going to need some kind of solution or system to get us there. Don't know exactly what it is. We need your help on that. We need to really help. We need to think through the problem, um, understand you know like what the business context is, what our timeline is, what, what kind of costs we're looking at, and we, and we need to build something. We don't know what that right thing is yet, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's you know we may need to deploy Salesforce. We may need. Um, some kind of web app. We may need, may need a mobile app. We may need all of these things. But let's look at you know what the timeline is, the cost, how we manage that, how we manage budget, what technologies, what how can we how can we leverage these various technologies in a you know in a certain order or whatever so that we can start getting incremental value soon so that we don't have to such have such a long runway. You know, there's just like all kinds of things that as an experienced, you know, not not only software engineer but also problem solver and and business consultant that's that's kind of how i like to think of myself i'm i'm just i'm not just a coder and if all you need is a coder that's great they you know there's plenty of them out there for 40 to 60 dollars an hour i'm sure right yeah um, that is not well, i mean and and <laughs> by the way make sure they don't create a class called code coverage helper <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh what we call in the industry a smell yeah that's what we call run. Don't walk, but run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear what you're saying. I, but there's another part to this, too, in terms of my emotional satisfaction, is that I miss working with really smart people. Not that you're not a very smart person that I enjoy working with. But, you know, a lot of things we do, we don't collaborate on. It's, it's I'm working on something, and sometimes I'll, you know, bounce something off of you and vice versa. You know, I, I think I'd also like to be part of a team that's, that's really good at problem solving, Um you know, having the right kind of team. I was reading something um, earlier this week. The title of this article is called Pop-Up Employer. Uh, it says, the pop-up employer, build a team, do the job, say goodbye. And the concept of the article was these kind of, I don't know, these teams that would just kind of form to solve a problem and then disband. Like, they don't exist only for that. They exist only for the amount of that project and then they're gone. Um, I mean, yeah, okay. It kind of sounds like a, you know, like a typical uh, either consulting company. Yeah, I guess. I well, it does, but they, they drew an analogy that that really resonated with me. They they actually kind of did an analogy against Hollywood and saying when when they make a movie, they pick a director, they pick actors, and they bring all these people together to make this movie, and then they're done. And they actually literally create new companies for that one movie. And once yeah. that once that's all done, they wind those companies down. And that's that's what made it resonate with me. I was like, yeah, they picked. They had this story. They picked all these right people to fit that one story. They picked the, this actor to fit that story. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes the movie's a flop, and sometimes it's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, in some cases, like the Marvel universe, Cinematic Universe, you know, it's, it's a very intentional thing where they're keeping people around, and they're building this, and they're, they're doing this. But that aside, you know, with, with most movies, they, they bring them together. They try to fit people to these roles that fit this one project, and then they move on. And then okay. when they're looking people to find this new project— They'll maybe bring in someone from that other project, but they'll bring in someone else who who adds something that complements this this story. Um, 
and this is me drawing from this article, just from that one analogy. This isn't them telling this, but for me, this one analogy kind of resonated with me because I, I like that idea. I like the idea that for a given project, you don't have a set team. You don't have your your gold team, your B team, and your C team. You look at the story. Did you just say gold, B, and C? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> I switched now. I switched uh, metaphors, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> Mixed my metaphors. Well, you got your gold team, you got your B team, you got your three team. <laughs> Gold team, B team, C team. <laughs> if I was really going to mix it up, I'd say three team. Yeah. Gold, I, B, and three. I just said that, John. <laughs> did you? I wasn't yeah. listening to you. <laughs> I think I did. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. All right. So, uh, so is that what this article was about? Or what, what was your takeaway? I mean, what? Well, I mean, th- this article was something I was reading as, as I thought that it might, it might be something I could talk about. Um, and I just, I almost dismissed it. You sound like, like you kind of liked that idea or something about that. Well, this article, I didn't really enjoy this article, to be honest. It, it, it tried to talk about these teams that exist and then disband and how that's good and how it's bad. And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm trying to figure out why you brought this up. There's something about this. It, it was that. It was that Hollywood analogy that, okay. that, that piqued my interest. It was, you know, they, these, these people that come together to make a movie and then they disband. And then when it comes to the next movie, which is a completely different story, just like projects today in, in that we have i mean yeah they might be similar they have it, it, just like with movies they all follow some similar plot it's not like there's some original plot that no one's thought of they all have the same plot yeah. it's just the way they organize it or they tell the story or you know whatever fringe case or in the, in this case some kind of twist that they would put on the movie in our case and project it would be some kind of you know edge case scenario that we really have to solve for it would be nice to solve for um that analogy really resonated with you because I don't see that happening. I don't see project teams, at least in the world that I work in, um, and maybe there's, you know, maybe the centers of the world do this, but I don't see people custom building teams for a project. I see resource availability, uh, price point that margins they're trying to meet, and skill set, and and putting, you know, if if the project's really high visibility, make sure they have high visibility people on it. I don't really see this custom tailoring project based on the requirements to this. I, and as I say that, I, I know I know there are aspects of it. I know there are people that say, okay, we have integration. Let's bring an integration guy. We, have, we need triggers. Let's bring in a trigger guy. We need config. Let's bring in a config guy. But I don't see a melding of personalities. I don't see a melding of who can tell the best story or who can fit this story the best. And I'm not sure if that's making any sense because I'm rambling, but... No, I think I get it. I mean... I think the question is, if you're going to, if like a, a pop-up employer, you're gonna, like, I mean, I assume we're talking about creating a company for a project, to do a project. Kind of. And if so, I mean, when you're done, why disband the company? Why not just get another project? And now you're basically just a consulting company. Well, I, I guess I guess what resonated with me is, is why is that the model? Why is why, what the model? That, that you have this team that did this project really well, so that means they must be able to do any project really well. So let's keep this company, let's build this company around these people and let's let's go. Well, that's that gets back to, you know, uh, the, your view on people. I, I, you know, you know, we know my view on people. I mean, well, as I was writing my notes, I I, I kind of said that I, in my notes, I was like, what we're basically saying is that we have this project team that was good, and we feel this team is good enough to adapt to any situation. So we're going to make them adapt to any situation, versus. We have these very different projects or these projects that have their own unique uniqueness to them. So let's tailor make the yeah. project team to this project. And that that was that's that's the part that I was trying to get out in all my ramblings was that when I was writing my notes and I was thinking about that analogy more, the way I looked at it was 
when we say we have this project team or we have this company that we built this team around, we're saying that this team is so good, they can adapt to any scenario. Any project you throw at us, this team can adapt to it. See, and that's where, I'm glad you brought this up, actually, because I think Hollywood is much more self-aware than most other industries. They know that there's really a certain director they want to get. There's a certain uh, DP they want to get. There's a certain you know lead actor and supporting actor and whatever. There's certain people they want to get for the characters because they know that it's really important you get the right people for each of these important uh, positions. And in the tech world, it's just like, oh, um, yeah, let's import some H1Bs for that. Or let's, um, let's get Accenture to give us, uh, you know, a hundred developer level ones with master's degrees in computer science that are 20, all 25 years old. Or what, you know, it's like, there's just, there's no acknowledgement of the fact that, I mean, one of those people is going to be great at certain things, bad at others. There's just none of that. It's, uh, yeah. And, and some people don't care. I, it's just, we are not a self-aware, we're not very good at that thing in this industry. This industry is very bad at that. Yeah. And I took the analogy further. I was, when I, when I thought about, um, these universes, these cinematic universes that are getting created, I, I, I drew that to ISVs. I said, those are the ISVs. Those are the guys that are building a product and they're producing something and it's, it's getting advanced. It's theirs. And so they care about it. (laughs) And they care about it and they invest in it and they grow in it. And when you want, when you want to go see a badass comic book movie, you go see a Marvel movie or something, you know? And that exists, and that that story is growing and continuing. Yeah, and you're uh, investing who, who, in that Cooper, story. Who makes what, who? Who's the label or whatever behind the Marvel movies? I mean, what what um, what studio is it or whatever? Do you know? Well, it's Disney owns. But anyway, it now, uh, but Marvel is their own studio. But, so they but, they don't go to a casting call and just say, "Yeah, we need um, we're going to need uh, fifteen uh, male actors and uh, eighteen female actors, please." No, they don't. You know, <laughs> they excruciatingly go pick. Well, first of all, they might they might have high level ideas for certain characters, but then they then they go through and they're auditioning, audition yeah. after audition after audition after audition because well, these that, little differences matter. I mean, movies, as with IT products or anything else, can really hinge on individuals. Wow! So you took that analogy further than I did. Are you saying we need to audition for projects? I, I think for every <laughs> position on a project, we need to think. Long and hard about people's every their their skills and their talents and their unique characteristics. Well, I think that's one thing we I don't mean, some, do. We don't we don't you, audition not, for projects. Not, we don't have a conversation with with a group of people and say, okay, here's the role we're trying to fit, and then let's let's talk yeah. about skill set. Do you want this role first of all? If so, do you fit it? Or or maybe it's someone who's who's really ambitious who wants to be on that project. Is like, you know what? I want on that project. Here's what I can do. Yeah. I mean, I know that happens to a certain extent, but I don't think it happens as part of the normal flow of things. And right. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just have the wrong experience, life experiences and I've never seen this, but it does happen. And if so, yeah. tell me where to find this. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to stretch this too far, but I, I think so often, you know, people need a good dose of, uh, of people wear or, or that line of thinking. And and <clears throat> it's just it's just so short-term thinking to just uh, to, to go the, the easy, the quick route um, of just... Again, thinking of people with generic labels, um, it just you're just not going to get the, the same kind of outcome. Yeah. Anyway, let's move past. All right. I wanted. Do we have more follow up? Uh, no, I think we okay. We beat that one. So uh, a while back, you and I talked about named credentials on the show. Do you remember that? You were. I think you were telling me how you use named credentials on something. Yeah. Well, I kind of used it to build a call back into Salesforce itself. To call back into Salesforce. Oh, Salesforce to call Salesforce. Yeah. Okay. But the technology itself I thought was interesting because you you name it 
And then you use that name in your endpoint. Yeah. And there's magic that says, okay, this endpoint is this URL. It's like, it's like a, yeah, it's like there's a, you're creating a protocol handler <laughs> is basically what you're doing. Yeah. That's what, yeah. it, that's what it'd be called in the Apple world anyway. Um, so I have a situation where I did, where I was going to be communicating with an external API. And it's, you know, it's an HTTP API and it's, you know, uses, um, uh, I think it was just HTTP, you know, basic authentication. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, this is great. I'll use a name credential. Never used one of those before. I mean, I looked at them and whatever, but you know, never used one. You don't have to. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a convenience thing. Or, well, the nice thing is, I, I guess um, you can go in later and easily change the the credentials, right, without having to, you know, like store them in custom settings or something like right. that. So it's it's just like a purpose. It's like, hey, that's what this one thing is for. So if you need one of those, then use these name credentials. Right. Um, and so the API that I'm that I'm using, the way they um, the way it does authentication is they don't they don't give you a username and password for the API. They give you um, you get a token, an API token. Mm -hmm. And so when you build your basic auth, like your you know your the HTTP header. Um, because the way that basic auth works is you take uh, your authentication, you like the authentication header, and then the value is um, the username colon password, but then you base sixty four encode that whole that whole string, the username colon password. Okay, right? I was going to say it's in the header; it's it's not encrypted. Well, it is encrypted because it's all over HTTPS, so okay. it is encrypted. And base sixty four is not encrypted; it's just encoding. It can be obviously just decoded. So, um, so I, I go to create this name credential. I thought this is great. I give it a name. I give it. I tell it what the UR, the the base endpoint is. You know, for the username, I enter the API token, and there's no password because they just want you to use you. You know, uh, just and again, it's API token colon, and then for username, you, uh, for password, you do blank, and then you encode that, and you're all good. Mm. Well, the name credentials requires you to enter a password. They 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 mm. didn't envision the idea that maybe you're using a token, and that goes in the username field, and there is no password. So I so I couldn't use and I mean I could I could put some I don't know some character in there or something but it, then it's gonna it hoses up the the base sixty four encoded value and obviously when they decode that it's it's no good. I think it comes back to and in, in, in any any anytime Salesforce does something it's it's not so much a oh we think this will be great for the platform and this would be great for the developers there's usually some purpose behind it and I think I think name credentials really came about for things like Google Twitter. Those type of integrations, and this this is a this is a, a web API with a it's a, it's a young you know super hip um, web app. Well, they're too young it's, and hip. It's a business. It's a business app. It's not the norm. <laughs> it's not an it's not an OAuth. I mean, I, yeah, they they don't they don't do OAuth for this. But this is not. I mean, name credentials isn't for OAuth. They, uh, I mean, it's not. You could, I mean, this. Well, you could do OAuth. You could, I mean, yeah. well, I think you, no, you can. You can do OAuth. Um, I mean, that's what Twitter and everything else. Is. I, I'm it's just trying. To, I'm trying to think of that name credential thing because, like, I guess you could do like a. Um, well, yeah, because OAuth. Well, it's weird. OAuth tokens are passed in the authorization header. So, well, there's multiple layers to name credentials because there's like the. You can do like. Uh, am I thinking wrong? Anyway, uh, some, yeah, but, but but um, what I'm, I guess my point is you're kind of wrong here because when you're when you're setting up a name credential, it's like literally explicitly says here enter these for basic authentication and through the username and password. Yeah, I'd have to go back so and look. It's not that I'm not cool enough or hip enough or using the latest thing. It's that it's just that I don't know. They didn't. I guess they didn't ask enough people. Hey, how do you actually use basic auth? You know, they just assume that you always have a username and you always have a password. That's, no, the, that's I, the only I, way to authenticate. I, I think it was just that they had some very specific use cases in yeah, mind to solve. and They just failed to imagine, failed to talk to enough customers. All right. 
So anyway, so I still uh, have not never used uh, uh, name name credentials. Well, you've attempted to. I have. I've attempted to do a lot of things. <laughs> Another thing happened to me this week. Just I thought I would share. This is just why you don't do things like this. Uh, so I get called in to do a quick hit on an org. So I check out all the code. I'm working, and I go to deploy some stuff. And I deploy some stuff, and I get a failure. Are you able to listen to me? Or are you jacking around with name credentials? I'm jacking around with name credentials. All right, pause the show. <laughs> Damn it. Well, because I was like, there's got to be a way to do that. And I, th- I think it's this no authentication, but you use merge fields in the header. So I don't know. Okay, I won't derail you. Continue, um, sir. I'm listening. All right. So I get called and do a quick hit in an org, fix some things. So I, I go and I check out, get connected in the org, check everything out. And by I say check everything out, it's mean pull it down from the org. There's no version control involved here. And which is part of the problem. And so I make some changes, <clears throat> implement a new thing, push it up, and I get a failure. And it turns out I created a class with a certain name that another developer created a new class by the same name and deployed it like a day before. And this is a, huh. this is just a very small little window into uh, multiply that problem times a thousand, and this is how people. I don't see how they do this. Like you've got clients that do this. Like there's there are tons of developers in the same org, massive amounts of code. And it's like how in the hell do you guys do this? We create a lot of silos. Oh wow! This is not this is my code. That's not your code. Well, and and hey. where, where they overlap, a lot of times the. The easiest thing to do is not to modify someone else's, but to just create a new class. And this is, this is, I think, the way things are done. In fact, uh, we should bring this up now. Uh, did you know that? Did you hear uh, Stephen Harrod kind of call me out on? Um, uh, he, he mentioned something on Twitter, but then on the latest episode of their podcast, Code Coverage, I saw there's a new episode, and I wanted to listen to it. I haven't. No, he's, you know, he's, he, you know, mentioned that, uh, you know, obviously he's talking about how I, you know, think that Salesforce c- could use a package. You know, dependency installation, you know, resolution system, and and he doesn't at all. And you know, so, so I mean, here like we have NPM here we type, have you know, thing. you know, what are they called? Chief technical or no, uh, certified technical architects, whatever they are. You know, who who are doing it like you guys in that in that org do it, and that's just how they do things. It's just the happy soup. Hey, we don't need packages. We don't need dependency resolution. You know, we don't need to make sure that we're using the right versions of things, and that and that teams can work independently yet coordinate. We don't need any of that. I mean, how how do you do this? This is this is absolute insanity. I mean, a dozen developers, hundreds of thousands of lines of code, and it's just it's happy soup. You know, and and well, every, it, it's it, you, you, you remember, anyone can name a class anything in the in the global namespace, and there's it's just yeah, it's the wild yeah, west, and, man, and everyone anyone can change anything. It's the wild west, guns yeah, blazing. Yeah. So what happens is you you have you end up with these, I guess, like de facto silos, mm-hmm. and you end up with. Loads of of du- probably there's probably so many different du- you know duplicate code code that does almost the same thing but yep. you know you did yours and I did mine and I don't even know about yours and I'm not even supposed to touch yours and you know you have these little those, well, all these little it, kingdoms because it, it's not just it's not like different teams it's like different uh, consulting companies all doing work in this environment so there's there's an additional layer of this is mine it's not so much a it's not I don't want to paint the picture that we're like this is mine don't touch it it's just that when we touch it. We might break something. If we break something, then we own that well, now. Yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't to meant to be shared. It and was, the other team yeah. goes, it was working when I last left yep. it. It's your yep. problem now. Yeah, you know, and that's just what happens because we're all we're all fighting for dollars and hours. And when yeah. we have to well, do these troubleshooting, and depending on whose fault it is, it may or may not be there, covered. There's no architecture. The tests are probably not very well written. 
It's like, what, how do you figure out what happened? I mean, it's just, it's just an absolute mess. Well, it, it, fortunately, the, the tests, well, it depends on, okay, I won't, I won't say that. I was going to say the tests aren't really an issue, but yeah, it depends on who wrote it. The bigger issue is just how many, because it's not just developers. If it was all just developers in here messing around, eh, not not too bad. Bad, but not bad. But you have point and clickies in there. <laughs> Clickers. <laughs> Point and clickers in there. <laughs> and so they're creating process process builders and they're creating follows and they're creating they're creating workflows and um configuring new validation rules and things like that. And so that it's it's um it, it is a wild west environment, yeah. Yeah. When when you do that. And but it's it, tough to troubleshoot. It's tough to find at what point an issue happens, especially if there's enough going on that the the damn log truncates. <laughs> it's yeah. frustrating. The log truncates. And I'm like, I have no idea where this started. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Like, why in the hell can I get a full log out yeah. of Salesforce? That's ridiculous. Because at some point you're like, I the the high level, you know, just debug statement isn't enough. So you have to go to fine and finest and finer and whatever the levels are. And then it starts truncating. You're like, well, crap. This is useless to me. Yep. Hmm. All right. So what was the point of that? Just you checked it out. The, the idea soon. that even even though this was such a small thing and it was such a so uh, such so time box that even in that small amount of time, I literally had a clash with with another developer within like a one day with with a little one day task. Yeah, and that's you know imagine that because the complexities don't grow linearly as your code base grows; they grow exponentially as your code base grows. Yeah, they do. And you know, and and but it's it's two sides of a coin, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have the developers doing a lot of stuff, but in, in a lot of cases, you have you have maybe a client who's trying to over automate. You know, they're they're trying to do too much with code. You know, they're they're trying to do too much with the system, and maybe not, you know, relying less on operational and trying to put too much into the system. And I, I see that a lot too. Or the the system, yeah. There's a bunch of people in here interacting and, and writing stuff, but also there's things that shouldn't be being done that are being done, in my opinion. Yeah, that just sounds like a, a, a process or some kind of team problem or something, right? It's usually the client and whatever they're trying to, whatever they're trying to do. I mean, I, I've had clients who just to the point, and I've had to do a lot of kind of consulting with them and try to understand why they're trying to do this and trying to provide that feedback because I've seen some people that really try to over-engineer their lead automation, where the rules that they're giving me to to, to auto convert leads, and I'm like, well, you're just going to end up converting everything. What? What are we doing here? We shouldn't even be using leads then. Just make everything a contact. Yes. You know, it's situations like that where I'm like, if it wasn't me, someone would have just said, okay. Da, 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 da. Right. And now they're converting every lead. Yeah. That's like, you know, just my point earlier about like, you know, hire just some inexperienced person. I need a trigger built. Uh, can you build me the trigger? Oh, sure. I, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, is this even a good idea? I mean, yeah. did you did you talk about the alternatives and the consequences and the advantages right. and disadvantages? Or And I find most of the time, you know, they had they either they were so focused on the problem that they wanted to solve that they didn't really think about all the things that it could have touched. So it wasn't like an irresponsible requirement. It was just that they just needed someone to kind of just talk through it with them. And once they did, we came up with a much better solution that that resulted in better results, less automation on the code side. It might have been a little more operationally, but it was a trade-off that was reasonable, yeah. given that it would have just ended up converting every lead. Well, so let's let's talk about the the idea of a some kind of like package package system for Salesforce. So something, you know, like people always bring up NPM, I guess, because everyone's in JavaScript. Like the idea. 
I think everyone's a JavaScript developer nowadays. I don't like the idea. Okay. No. <laughs> well, and and so you've said that now, and Stephen Herod has said that, and you guys are both, you know, Happy Soup guys. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I would love to have a namespace. I just, I don't think... I'm trying to think, okay, what system have you built on a modern package management that has a modern package management system? You've done, you've done a Node app. You've done Node apps, right? Yeah. Could you imagine doing those without NPM? No. When you, like exactly because when you go to build your app, if you actually look at that dependency tree, but I'm also very afraid of that dependency tree. I am. You should I am be. So no, you should be. Of that you should I be. am constantly looking at my package file and reorganizing and and trying to remember to remove stuff when I get rid of the dependency and trying not to have anything left over. And I'm trying to remember because I forgot what the command is because it's been a while. But you can say that something is always this version or just automatically upgrade this version, whatever the latest version is. What was that called? There's a command for that. Um, I don't know, it's strict or something. I don't remember. But anyways, you, you can you can tell it in the command when you install it, you know, always this version or just let it update. So I'm always concerned about what I have and what I'm doing and what's updating and what's not updating and what my official build is and what it isn't. And so, so first it's of all, stressful. Yeah, right. So think about this. So so everything that listed in your package.json, right? The, your, your direct dependencies, right? Each one of those has its own dependencies. They require yes. string handling and FTP and, and file stuff and formatting stuff and network stuff and they, you know all right all kinds of stuff. And right? you don't always have and, visibility. But imagine, to. but if imagine if all of those instead of instead of using a package dependency system, like went to that had to go to that project and just copy and paste the code into their into their package. Well, now you've got all these different modules that you directly depend on that they've had to go out and copy and paste all the stuff from the things all they all depend on and different versions of them because one of them might, you know, have copied from 1.31 and the other one copied from 1.33 or something, right? Yeah. And it just, it'd be an absolute cluster. I mean, you cannot build real I software like that I still that see nowadays. it as a stack of cards because you're still, you're kind of blindly relying on everyone else's ability to, to effectively manage dependencies within that package. So you're saying that Node will be better off without NPM? No, I'm not. I'm okay. not. I'm not saying that. I'm okay. just saying it, it's it's a scary. It's. I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. I'm not saying I don't make use of it. And I'm not saying that that I would be better off without it. I'm just saying I'm very scared of it. I'm not so sure that it's the answer to our problems. I think it's something that we use and we use it to our benefit. But I don't think it's. If anyone looked at this and said, "Yep, this is it. This is the gold standard of how we should be doing package management," I just I don't see it. Oh, I don't. I don't think that any one of them. And by the way, they all have them. Ruby gems, Python has PyPy, right? Uh, CocoaPods, Maven, Gradle. I mean, they've they've uh, NuGet or whatever for .NET. They've all got these, and it's not because it's a bad idea, right? It's because it's insane not to do this. And well, if you're building hard- if you're building an application that's more than a hundred lines of code, and you think that this this is not something that in some form or another is needed, then I would suggest that you don't understand the problem you're talking about, and po- perhaps you don't build. You know, interesting software. Well, I I, I just think it's dangerous. I, I think it, it requires a, a great degree degree of trust. It it is no, you're it, you're okay. There it is fraught with problems, right? All yeah. all these package management system management systems are fraught with problems. In fact, and Stephen was talking about. Um, there's another podcast which is funny he mentioned because I've listened to it forever. By the way, I I think I've I think I've been Twitter friends with Stephen since before. It's certainly before he was in Salesforce, and I could be wrong, so he'll have to correct me. But I think I remember, like when I think it was when JavaFX first came out. Like he created some Twitter client or something. I mean, I don't know. I remember he used to be a way funnier guy back before he became a uh, you know <laughs> a, a suit wearing executive. <laughs> 
<laughs> just giving you a hard time, Stephen. Um, but um, what was I saying? Your Twitter friends. Yeah, uh, no, before that. Before that. Uh, something about package managers wrought with, with, with problems. If Yeah, I, I don't know where I was going. But they, they've all got problems. Oh, this, but no. So he was talking about this podcast that he's friends with a buddy. That's there basically... I think they're Australian. Maybe they're, maybe they're, oh no, one of them's definitely uh, New Zealand. So anyway, but it's called Illegal Argument. And I've listened to that podcast forever. And they do, in fact, on just about every episode. I mean, it's, I think they have records on how long it takes them to get into complaining about Maven or something. And, and it's absolutely true, right? They, they do complain about Maven. And Maven is far from perfect. However, they all use Maven every day. They have to use it because it's insane not to use it. Yeah. So even though it's got problems, and they, like I said, these all have problems, it's it's a thousand times better than what was before Maven. And I know Stephen remembers that because I know he's been doing Java for like fifteen years. Uh, when you manually manage your, you checked those jars into your version control system, bloated the crap out of your your CVS, which is probably what it would have been back then, or RCS if you're really old. Um, you checked them all in. You had to manage your class path manually. Do you ever? You ever do any Java stuff and manage your class path manually? Nope. I mean, just this string I've had to point to like every where jar where it was, and and there was no intelligence on if you had incompatible versions. You don't know if you don't know if dependencies need to be updated. Like with npm, you can say, hey, what needs to be updated or what's available to update. I mean, we can't do. I mean, there's just none of that stuff, and it's you. You just we we wouldn't have Node as we as even anything close to what it looks like today if it were not for npm. Just would not have happened. JavaScript would not be near the thing it is right now without without npm, and I just wonder what would Apex look like with a decent package management system? Would we be would be would we be looking at back at what it is right now and saying, "Wow, can you remember? Can you believe we didn't have a package management system back then? It is so much better now. Like it's so but much Apex, more sane." Apex isn't the right place for that. I don't know. I mean, Apex is a Java-ish. It's pretty close to Java. I mean, yeah, but you don't have things like inheritance or anything like that that kind of makes some of are, this stuff work. But uh, that's true. And I'm not. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> you're you're pushing my buttons now, John. <laughs> don't, don't troll me. I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> um, you know, people are building human resource management systems and freaking enterprise resource planning systems on on this system and they're doing it by copying and pasting all the code into the repo- into their into their into the projects and and by and they may have I mean some some of these more advanced teams may have cobbled together some kind of you know homegrown versioning packaging system to try to bring some sanity to it but that's just them and then and we don't have this ecosystem that gets to benefit from all this stuff I mean I just I think the Salesforce ecosystem is definitely big enough now and the software we're build, we're building on Salesforce is big enough and complicated enough right now that it's time for something like that. I mean, it's time for a lot of things. To your point, <laughs> it's time for a lot of things. But, but so, so let's let's talk about just package managers in general. They they weren't built or even propagated by the people who invented the language. It was the community no, they, that did that. Yep, yep, yeah. But so we you're, don't ha- you're actually making a call to action to the community to say no. Let's because, figure this in, this package thing but, out. But but it all runs on Salesforce's runtime. I can't run. I can't run my Apex code locally. I can't do any of that stuff. So it, this 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 requires Salesforce's an initiative from Salesforce. You know. But well, then you know what you have to do. You have to figure out how to how this makes uh helps them sell more licenses. I know. How does a package manager help Salesforce sell more licenses? And then you can you can uh, get your project on the board. 
How does it get them faster? It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. I really got to update that because they're going to hit 10 billion this year, I guess. Well, yeah, we should celebrate. We should, but we also I should replace our because he's got now it's you know he changed it to twenty billion like six months ago. We got to find that clip then. I'm just I'm very behind. I know it's old. I know I just I don't have time to do as much audio stuff anymore. So I just don't have as many. Yeah, I don't know. There's always time if you make time, Jeremy. That's true. <laughs> I mean, so why don't you? It sounds like you were volunteering just now, John. What to make, make time to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I I. I you know, I kind of want to build a soundboard just for the fun of it. Yeah. Um, I, as I said earlier, I need an intellectually stimulating uh, hobby. And, you know, maybe making a soundboard is it. It could be. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've never, have you ever developed a Mac app, like a native Mac app? That, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's going to be a thinking, great like, project. Maybe, maybe I could, like, I don't know, use Swift or something and make it a little iPad app that you could stick on your desk. And there you go, your little iPad buttons. It'd be like a little DJ. I think you're hitting on something here, John. <laughs> Anyway, I you know I well, could especially be, now I could that they go, have the new file system coming up. That'll even be better. How would that be better? I mean, how would that help? Because us? now I can now you can actually manage the files on that iPad. Oh, I want a Mac app. Oh, fine. I mean, maybe both. <laughs> um, was it Black Cat Systems? Has they have one of the I think more popular? Oh, that's so crusty. Soundboards, and I think the original one was Mac. So Soundboard app, and they have a an iPad app. That you you can use to control the soundboard on your Mac, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Anyway, I could go into all the, you know, what pa- what these package systems do and what the advantages are and all that. But I I just think that I don't know. I don't think we're even there yet <laughs> mentally. I don't think the community is there yet. But there's there's just so many things that these systems do for you to enable you to just build software better, faster to. Sh- to share code better, to enforce licenses better, to do all kinds of governance better. I mean, I, I can see how there's some value to it. I just, and, and I just maybe think what the maybe what of, you and Steven, sorry to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt. Maybe the, maybe what what you and where you like you people like you and Steven are coming from is just that. Yeah, maybe that's a thing, but we're not there yet. We need to walk before we run. Maybe that's kind of what you guys are saying. I think so. I mean, I'm, I think, I'm saying, I, screw you guys. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we have. I, I think they're attempting to address it now. But I think what I'm gathering in terms of how they're addressing deployments and managing code, it seems very ISV specific. Like, would, like, yeah, we'll get the benefits of it as developers, but really it's being built for ISVs. And the what way are you they talking about? What's being built for ISVs? DX. Oh, DX. I don't know. I, I, I feel I'd like probably... the way that works and the what more I'm hearing about how it works and, and the way you can set up scratch orgs, I'm like, yeah, that, that works for an ISV. Yeah, that's awesome. I I, I need to build a stand-up, a... a Scratch word that looks exactly like this production instance that I'm working in and do some stuff to it. Without a bunch of scripts and setup, I just want to just run this against this, I, this instance. I don't know. I, I guess I'll just... I'll, I'm just saying, given that scenario, does DX do that? As far as I know, it doesn't. Does it do what? Set up... You can say, okay, mirror this production as a Scratch org and let me run everything on it. So you have to have... You have a configuration for your Scratch org? With you know the addition, all the features, and all that, and I I don't know if there's any way to like say but that that's not that doesn't mutate based on what's happening in production. No, no, I, I, like I said, I don't think it, I don't think there's a way to say, hey, pull the config, right? Pull that from this org. I, I think you have. I mean, I think you can get there, but it, you have to manually create that configuration. Right. Um, the other thing I think that my 
problem as far as I can tell so far with DX is that it's, I mean, the scratch orgs are cool. That's a great feature to be able, and, and it is um, really huge for ISVs. Although I, I do think it's also very beneficial for non-ISVs. Um, but I think the, the, the glaring hole still is that that's great. I can get my stuff into a scratch org. The huge problem is getting your stuff into an existing actual sandbox mm-hmm. or, or especially into production. Well, see, that, that's, that's, what, that's kind of where I'm coming from is that I think, you know, when Salesforce approved this initiative for DX and everything, I, and again, I'm just, I'm just speaking from, from what I think in my head. There's, there's no information behind this, but I think it comes down to selling licenses just like anything else. And I think ISVs, people who are building products on, on the system, and, and, you know, of course, that's, that's a big selling point for Salesforce. And we don't do that, but there's an AppSchange product that does that. You know, just install it and you're done. Um, I think that's where this is coming from. I think, you know, that's what's pushing it. I think you and I sitting here as independents just writing custom code isn't going to, isn't driving it. It's the ISVs who are, you know, showing really real dollar impact here that I, are driving this technology. Yeah, and I, I hesitate to try to get into, you know, Mark Benioff's head. Uh, <laughs> Mark Benioff but has nothing it, to do with this. No, 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 it does because, I mean, obviously at, at the highest level, he's setting the direction. He's deciding... No, he's not. No, no, he's deciding what helps move the company forward, what helps increase sales, what helps get more licenses sold. I don't think so anymore. I, I think that's more than I think when it comes to technology and, and the the how so that it's, translates. It's either him or the people that he has directly I think put it's in Parker, place. Right? To be honest, I think yeah. Parker is is the key to that. You know, but the, the, the weird thing about that is, you know, Parker's a software engineer, right? Yeah. How would he leave us with Happy Soup for for nineteen years now? I. I <sighs> I don't know how much that, I can that is say. a that is a betrayal I, I, of the craft. I've, I've right. I've met Parker <laughs> and I've I've seen the way he talks and and what he says about things. And it's not so much happy soup. It's just that they're running a business. Salesforce is a business, and everything they do has to be tied to that bottom line. I, I agree, but isn't it? And I'm totally biased because this is what I do. This is a big part of what I do for a living. Is I build stuff on software for for Salesforce's customers. Um, but. Surely they understand that we are hindered on the value that we can we can jointly deliver to Salesforce's our mutual customers by the limitations of this system. Yeah, but the question is is do know, they not get that? No, I think I think they do, and I, I've heard them say yes, we've heard this, and yes, we we know this is an issue. But when it comes to priority, when it comes to how they prioritize things and where they spend the money and where they allocate, to use their favorite word, resources. Yeah. Um, it's got to get. It's got to go into the queue, and then they, they got to make decisions on what's going to be the most beneficial in the short term or long term. You know, depending on what strategy they're trying to trying to accomplish at that point in time. I guess this is a company that spends, and I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but if they're at ten billion in revenue, they're probably spending. Oh, I don't know. Gosh, at least a half a billion a year on R and D, if not a billion. Um, I thought we had that number. At some we point. do, and I just forget what it is. Yeah. But you know, you can't carve out some of that. I mean. One Jeremy, one, they're rebuilding the no, entire system on Lightning. I no, mean, everything's going to that right now. Oh, I know. So you know all these. Well, th- why is that little... so slow then? I mean, why has that been so? Why has that been slower and more complicated than what anyone thought? If they're putting you know most of their resources, into I think that? because they're actually having to rebuild core level features yeah. or core level systems is a better word. I think it's because software is always harder than what you think it's going to be. Yeah. Every project. You know, people and now they, gotta, now they got to build it to work with AWS. You ever have someone that comes to you and says, hey, John, <laughs> we want you to build this thing and it's, it's going to be 40 hours. And you're like, oh, really? Going to be 40 hours, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've had customers where I say, yeah, that's not going to be 40 hours. Just do it for 40 hours. It's not going to be 40 hours. Yeah. 
Why is it at 40 hours? Because I told you it wasn't going to be 40 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I know. I mean, they're just, it's, it's a balancing act. Uh, I did, boy, it just sure seems to me that if they would put some more money in improving, you know, some of these things, um, a, you know, Apex, namespaces, packages, you know, and like I've been saying, like either, man, just give Apex a shot of features and really get it back up to par with modern languages or just figure out how to let us run Java on the platform. Um, it would, well, I, I mean, I, it, I think it would boost their companies, I mean, boost all of their customers the value they get out of Salesforce a ton. And it would make, it, it would make, it would, it would remove so many barriers and roadblocks and, and ob- objections that I'm sure a lot of their customers have. Would it though? I mean, if you went to, to one of your customers today and said, hey, you can build, there's this new CRM and we can build everything in Java. Doesn't that sound exciting? What would they say? They're like, what's Java? I well, just need a it, okay. CRM. I so need a CRM that can do this. You're talking about a, a, a completely, I would say, unsophisticated We're or, not the or, ones that write clueless. the checks, though. We're not the ones that, no. that buy, buy Salesforce. And that's what we're... That's, that's no, but our, I'm the one who tells them, you know what? No, we're not building that on Salesforce. You don't want to build that on Salesforce. And how I, can you tell them that? By the time, uh, at least from my perspective, by the time you're engaged, they've already bought it. Well, because you're getting brought in too late or you're just in a different situation than I am. Than I am. If, if they've already bought it, the decision's been made, and you're just, they're just like, oh, yeah, John, uh, here, write, these, well, right write now, this trigger for us. We right need now, you to write as, this trigger for as us. As of today, I'm a Salesforce, I'm a Salesforce architect slash developer, and by the time the work gets to me, we're doing Salesforce. Yeah. <laughs> how do I do this on Salesforce? Exactly. How do we do this in Salesforce? Yeah. Well, you should ask me about three weeks ago before you signed <laughs> that deal, because we shouldn't do this on Salesforce. Or maybe we should. It's, it's a challenge. Maybe we should, but it's, it's a challenge. It's a call to yeah. action. It's maybe, a challenge. Maybe we should. Rally. Okay. And 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 what I was gonna say is maybe it should be done on Salesforce. I mean, it's it's a, obviously it's a problem by problem thing, but the answer should be sell. The answer should be yeah, we can do that. We should do this on Salesforce a lot more often than it is right now. Well, I, I got to be honest. Some of it's just psychological, purely psychological. I have clients who want to surface data in Salesforce for no other reason to improve adoption or to keep people in a single tool, and Salesforce is becoming that hub for them. Absolutely, yeah, it is. It's their. So it's not so much that, yes, this tool does that better and has all these great features, but people are in Salesforce 24-7. It's easier for them to look at this data by clicking on a tab. Let's get it in there. Let's spend the money to get it in there instead of having them log into this other system. But I, but I know, I know companies who have, um, there's one in town who I can think of who has about 30 developers on their Salesforce development team. And I just think, you know, imagine what that team could get done if they if they didn't have all the the issues of just the kind of limited Mickey Mouse nature of force.com development. And man, they complain. They well, they lost half of their staff, first of all, when they when they implemented Salesforce. Because they mm-hmm. they're like, you're gonna go from .NET to Salesforce or you quit. And so they lost half of them. And the other half is still there. It's like, you know, they they would love solutions to these things. Well, I mean, this they, they <laughs> deal I'm with sorry, this every the, day. The, the trend I'm seeing today is that more and more companies don't want to manage their own systems. They don't want to have their own IT and their own clouds. Unless they're the no, big we have we have Amazon for that now. Unless they're the really big boys. I'm not saying we're not saying we're racking and stacking servers. They don't want their own developers. They, oh, that's not true. Yes, it is. No, I mean they, they I, don't. Well, I don't know who they is. I'm saying there's. I've seen so many so many companies listen, scale back. The, so and you're outsource. saying this company should fire their 30 developers and hire Accenture? I'm saying they probably will one day no, because they're going to... Would the, never work. Would never work. I'm not saying it'll work. I've seen I've seen them do it and it not work oh, okay. and they continue to double down on no. it. And that's just... That's just stuck on stupid, John. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's it's not. not? It's not. 
It shows it's <laughs> it's it's odd because there's psychology in business as well, and it's 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 different that the cost that you're outsourcing is seen differently than than an employee, because you could always sever that contract. You can always say that's you know that that that's gone next year. Sure, you can never say eh, that employee's gone next year. I mean, you can, but not without some kind of ramification. It's 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 a layoff. Well, some of these consulting contracts are harder to harder to shut down than firing employees. Just depends. I'm just saying it, it's viewed differently. It's viewed it as this kind of temporary thing that's easily severed. Right. In some way or fashion, there's some endpoint to that. When you hire someone, it's it, it's rare that you hire someone and say, "Okay, you're here for three years," because it, it's not a contract; it's an employment. Yeah. You know that that person expects to be there, and and you're both mutually working towards this goal. It's it's a different relationship. I guess. I mean, it is. So I'm I'm just saying I just I'm, I'm I see it I see these companies as they move to the cloud and they see how they can offload a lot of the the spend on IT a lot of the spend on development and move it to something to some tool that provides all that information where most of it's point and click and they don't have to invest in that and where they do they just hire some company to come in and and one off a few things or build some kind of relationship that, that where they don't have to maintain some kind of employment yeah yeah but you're describing companies with simple problems not not big no. problems. I wish. If you can bring in someone to point and click and then a one-off developer for little quick hits here and there, then this is this is not no, even close no, to what I, I'm talking about. That the, 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 I was about to say, or develop some kind of relationship with some kind of company like they do, like Accenture or whatever. They have they basically have people that live at their company that work for these other companies. To come, to come take a dump in their happy soup. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're just there. I mean, I, uh, I know plenty of consultants who have been on the same project yeah. for years. Well, that's their home, and, and we, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, why aren't you an employee of that company? I don't well, know. And the, this is where I live. You know what project? I'm, you'll know what project I'm talking about. But the one where it's definitely a, probably a Fortune 100 company. They they're you know f- at least three years into a Salesforce development project. They're for at least a year. Everyone's known that it's not going to ever happen. But the budget's been allocated. Everyone's still working <laughs> on it. They haven't canceled yet because I don't know why. But everyone knows it's never going to see the light of day. I've seen situations like that. <laughs> So that kind of insanity, I have no answer to. I all I can, you know, I can't even comment on it. We're, but we're talking one percent fringe cases. I mean, I, I think I think the majority of the projects, is, is, and especially the majority of the, the 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 sales, the new sales that Salesforce has, they're 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 implemented. You know, they're, they're quick started. You know, people are on it. They're running. They're running their reports. They they've got most of what they need. Lightning is offer more customers custom uh more out of the box. I'll say. And it's getting better and it's getting faster. So I think I think customers' needs are being met. I mean, yeah, there's a few things that it doesn't do. It's not perfect, but I think for the most part, their their, their needs are getting met. Mm. I sat in too the many stuff sat in about, too many sessions with their big customers, bringing their major frustrations to Salesforce to agree with what you just said. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Because so, I was I was yeah. one of those customers too at, yeah. when I was responsible for an enterprise system and a big enterprise company. And I sat in a room with an AE and and a couple other people and I put it all out there. Yeah. I mean, Salesforce knows about these problems. It's just a matter of, I mean, I think in a lot of, unfortunately, it, the general situation is Salesforce has engineered themselves into a corner that's hard to get out of right now. They have... Just basically because of dependencies. I mean, people have got all the stuff built that depends on how things work right now. And sometimes, you know, if you don't design a programming language or a platform right in a way that it is extensible or it's it's it it has a a, a progression path, 
I guess, a path to add the features that need to be added. If you've done things in a way that architecturally limit you, then what do you do? It becomes extremely expensive to, to fix that. Yeah, but I mean, that's coming from, from a perspective that Salesforce is a developer platform, but it's not. I can... F- I know they market it as such, <laughs> yeah. but but the reality well, is it's and, not no, I mean, a lot because of their, otherwise that's where the investment. A lot of their would be. managers, otherwise and that's why that's why people are buying it because it's a development platform. But they're not; they're buying it because it's this really great CRM or this real great um, sales and support system or marketing system. That's why they're buying it, not because it's the best development platform out there. Well, so when we have these grievances about the development platform tools. Right. It, it, it's got to translate to dollars. I mean, yeah. It's got to translate uh, uh, to license. Benioff agrees Salesforce with you. Salesforce only does one thing, which is CRM. <laughs> yes, he does. It's not a platform. See? See, I'm right. <laughs> uh, just say whatever you have to say at the time. That's the policy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt it'll get better. I just, I just think that in terms of where they allocate stuff and what they're trying to do, it, it all has to translate to how many licenses. How it, it has to translate to growth because that's what everyone's banking on. That's what, that's what uh, Wall Street is banking on is their growth. The other thing I think makes it so expensive for, for Salesforce is they've decided early on to make to do everything proprietary. They can't take advantage of anything Maven or Gradle or, or NPM has done. They, they've built it. They've created you know their own custom programming languages, their own custom runtime, their custom tooling, custom I, I, custom I think, database language, cu- you know, custom everything, and, and it's it's all proprietary. And so they you you can't you can't take advantage of any other developments that are happening. I mean, obviously Salesforce. They obviously use loads of open source and available software to build Salesforce on, but as far as what mm-hmm. they expose to their customers, it's just all it's all proprietary. So they can't, you know. Like I said, I mean, well, I think know, a lot of that Maven or Gradle the, wouldn't work with with Salesforce. I just think a lot of that has to do with the architecture they chose the the shared database. Basically, I mean, they have to put a ton of firewalls in front of everything yeah. to make sure that data doesn't bleed over. Yep, it's a huge security thing. And any and at the time that they were starting. Getting people to trust them with all their data and say, "Let us do it all." Well, that was a big thing. And you remember every Dreamforce, they talked about their the 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 security features and the trust that they were building in the community. And they always talked about trust, 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 trust. Trust was the thing. They even named the system thing trust.salesforce.com, which no one trusts. <laughs> which no one trusts. But that's where it came from was the fact that they had to build trust, it, outsourcing your entire system and, and all your data and saying, "Here, have our data." Oh yeah, was was not yeah. a well received thing because they were companies at the time who did do that. But they held the data hostage. Yep. And Salesforce was one of the few that said, "We've got an open API. Pull all your data. It's your data." Yeah. It's funny when you do uh, when when customers do get the opportunity to ask like a an engineering manager or an engineering executive um, some of these questions like, "We need to be able to do this, and we can't," or "We need to be able to do you know whatever it is." Hard pro- like f- things that. And things that you can do on almost any other platform, but on Salesforce you can't for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because they, the first thing they do is, I mean, it is kind of universal. <laughs> kind of they'll fold their arms and then you see their yeah, eyes roll, the up, eyes in, roll, back, roll yeah. up in the back of their head and they're like, I know how insane of a problem this is because of what we've backed ourselves into. So how do I answer this? And it's, you know. Well, it's, I, I see that <laughs> and I see the other thing. I see the the... The nodding. Even before you finish your question, I see the nodding because they know. They, yeah. <laughs> they know you're going to finish that statement, and they know. Yeah. They know. They, they want to, but they, ha- they haven't been able to yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there are good things happening. So it's not all doom and gloom. You know, DX and is I, good. I really like I, the Salesforce engineers. I, I think, Any, anytime I get a chance to be around those guys or ask them questions at these sessions or at these Dreamforce sessions, they are great guys. I like They're talking smart to, guys. 
they, they know their stuff. It's not like Salesforce is, at least on the engineering side, they're not like filled with, with, with a bunch of dumbasses. They're, they're really smart guys. I like, uh, just from an entertainment perspective, I like talking to the Heroku guys about Salesforce. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> the culture clash? Well, they, they just, I mean, you think I'm frustrated with Salesforce. I mean, they're just... I guess I can see they, that. They look I mean, at Salesforce and think, what the hell is this? Well, they have a different perspective because they they also built on a platform, but their platform is extremely open. They just, you know, how much CPU time do you need? Yeah. Okay, here's your cost. Well, and the platform they created, I mean, if you look at the philosophy of Heroku, I mean, it's a, you, you can bring whatever your best of breed technologies are to Heroku and run it on their platform as a service. And yeah. so they just look at Salesforce and these limitations and they're just like, what the hell? Why why aren't they doing this? Or why are they doing this? It just makes no sense. Well, yeah, it's 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 a difference in the, the business model. But however, that being said, if Salesforce was a development platform as Heroku was designed and built as roles would be reversed. Maybe yeah. Heroku would be but, buying Salesforce instead of Salesforce but buying Heroku. One of the biggest one of the one of the most common things that I hear, um, and I heard it at Trailhead DX, some of these big customers asking is, when are Heroku and Salesforce actually going to be a little more integrated? Because like, people really want to run like Java on the Salesforce platform, or they want to, you know, they want their the Rails thing or their Node thing or whatever is to be like way more integrated with Salesforce. Yeah, and it just it's not it's not. How long has it been now? Five, six, seven years? I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're still going to be. Well, I think they thought. I think again. I think it's one of the things where Salesforce thought it was. I think Mark Benioff thought it would be more integrated. They well, with the whole swing. What was it? Swing? No. Uh, was this Spring? Oh yeah. Was it VMware Spring? Uh, VM Cloud. VM Cloud. No VM. Uh, VMforce. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. That was supposed to be that. Yeah, I know. And then we heard the Heroku announcement. We're like, yeah. yes, it's it's going to happen. And, and no, Heroku is still very much separate. In yeah. fact, even their backend processes are not integrated. They use this for the Postgres integration, the Connect integration. It's still using API. It's actually using the streaming API from what I understand. And it's it's way too expensive. And it's you don't get distributed transactions. They're basically just a... a um, a, a collision algorithm that tries to a conflict algorithm that tries to if you have transactions that had that overlap between the two systems mm-hmm. that tries to figure out how to sanely m- merge those two things, which is dangerous. And for you know, it just I always thought that was not, manual. I thought it would identify, but you had to manually resolve. I don't remember. I've never I've never really used it in a real well, project. Yeah, I was on the verge of using it until the price came out, and then I had to custom write something. Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> I've written, I'm in the middle right now of doing a Postgres. Everyone loves the idea. A Postgres on Heroku to Salesforce <laughs> integration. It's fun. I mean, everyone loves the idea. The, the AE talks about it and everyone's like, yeah, that's perfect. That's what we need. Let's do this. Because I get a good commission on it. <laughs> and then the price comes out and it's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have my developer build yeah. that. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. So I Maybe that's what's going to save me. Well, I keep talking about the... The, is there going to be work for me in the future? Maybe Salesforce will just be so expensive that people are like, no, you build it. Yeah. It's a good business model. <laughs> yeah, that'll be my business model. Let's do that. Uh, do, do you follow IBM or care about IBM? I care about their Watson stuff. You know. do? Okay. Anyway, they, they, I was just having a rough time. They just announced earnings. Uh, and it's like, I think I think years now, I think it's like 8, 12 or 16 quarters in a row of declining revenue and, and more just um, more... I think criticism of of Watson. Uh, it's hard to sell overpriced based on previous generation, you know, artificial intelligence technology. It's it's so finicky the market. I mean, 
I, I just, I don't know. People seem to think technology is like this easy thing that just automatically happens. Because <laughs> that's what the CEOs say it is. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. I mean, Watson does some some cool Fitbit and marker. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people treat it like, ah, oh, that was yesterday. That was last month's news. What do you got today? Does does it does well it, when you're starting right is now? It fully aware yet? Okay, if you're starting does, an, if you're starting an AI project right now, and you're picking like what technology you're going to go with, I mean, and I I don't know enough about any of this stuff to, to know. But if if Watson is a generation behind, and let's just say for example Einstein is like way more up to date, I mean, which one are you going to go with? I mean, it just it's weird to pick the old one, isn't it? I, I know it's weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess in terms of. of the value that that has, and may, maybe maybe IBM hasn't done a good job at at continuing to innovate or at least advance Watson, or at least you know somehow find a way to make it attractive. I, I don't know. I mean, when they're I, selling it, it's just it, it's a. Uh, I, think I, it's, I guess it's I mean, a slog. Who, who's who's doing the criticism? Is it Wall Street making doing the criticism? Because because that 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 concerns me. When Wall Street is driving how technologies spend their R&D and what they focus on, that concerns me because no, they're, that's, they're, they're mean, a bunch of numbers guys the, and they're telling what the technology should be doing. The criticism I've seen from the financial perspective is the fact that Watson is supposed to be a huge part of their business and they're, so they're criticizing the results, the business results of Watson, not the technology itself or whatever. Mm. I mean, there are criticisms of the technology, don't be wrong, but that's not coming from the financial press that, that much that I've, that I've seen. Anyway, I don't know. Um, I also wonder, you know, I'm, you know, I kind of I watch these the these stock prices and everything, and I wonder if IBM, because of this announcement uh, that the, the supposedly this, by the way, have you heard any news on that? The Watson and Einstein integration? <laughs> no, <laughs> is that going to go the, the the ways of yes, VM Force? I, I think so. Um, but I wonder if that, you know, I Salesforce the stock has kind of just been, eh, you know, just kind of like not doing much. And I wonder if oh, IBM's better, been dragging... Than, than well, there's been several days, though, when the market's up and, and the tech stocks are up and, like, you know, Adobe's up and Oracle's up. And, actually, and then Salesforce is kind of flattered down. I'm just like... And, and IBM will be down, too. That's the other thing. You'll see two red stocks, IBM and Salesforce. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if IBM is dragging Salesforce down a little bit, if that's becoming, you know, a, a negative association. I don't think so. I mean, I'm just saying anecdotally, it's I've seen that on several mm -hmm. days that happened, but I, I, I haven't done any kind of a numerical analysis. So I don't know. I feel like like Salesforce is fairly isolated in terms of of how it's viewed. I don't unless something impacts like cloud technology in general. I, I think it impacts it, but I, I don't really see how like like if IBM took a dive, like it would drag Salesforce down. No, I mean there's been a couple examples. Like um, who, who is uh, um, what's the the uh, visualization software that's pretty pretty popular? I think I think their actual uh, ticker is data. Let's see, ticker data. Is that even going to bring something up? Tableau, yeah, that actually worked. Thanks, Google. Hmm. Um, yeah, there was a, I mean, this is a couple, you know, probably six months ago, but t some really bad news about Tableau came out, and their stock dropped like by half. But they pulled a lot of these other cloud companies with them, and Salesforce is one of them, huge drop in one day. I wonder if that if the, if it's um, that's a if it's a thing, pull though. on on the aggregate of what segments they plan. So it's, like, it is, yeah, yeah. And I think it's I think it, the the question that when when those kind of things happen is like, well, hmm. Because there's still questions about the subscription business model and if that's going to be as good as the Oracles and Microsofts, these, these you know, models. Well, Microsoft's you, already pivoted to subscription. They have, no, I know. And, and there's no questioning. They, they've they, they've stopped. They're, yep. they're moving to light, to yep. subscriptions. Um, I have I have a question for you. I just wanted to get your your feedback. I don't know if this is kind of late to get into this, but. Do you, I'm sure you've had this, but these clients that are convinced that their users are pretty much all idiots, and so everything has to be 
all the user experience of it has to be so dumbed down. At least they think it does. Yes. And that you're basically just like rewriting Salesforce. Yes. And it's like, yes, I can do this for you, but do you realize the maintenance that this is creating for you? And I and I tr- I always tr- tell them that. In fact, sometimes I'll, I mean, I'll, I, I, sometimes I get to some point, it's just, I, I from an ethical perspective, I'm like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. This is not going to serve you well. And if you really disagree with me that much, then let me try to find someone else for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, so that's, that's an extreme example, but I, you know, I've, I've got a, you know, I think we, like I said, I'm sure you've seen this. I know yes. you, anyone who's been doing this for, you know, longer than a few years has, has seen this where this, you know, it's like you have to really, they, they think in their mind, or it's usually one person, this is coming from one, some yep. person who's in charge of the project and they're convinced that everyone else is so much dumber than they are that you've got to build these ridiculous interfaces mm-hmm. that are really, they're limiting and they're going to create a ton of maintenance nightmare. And I'm just wondering, like, how do you handle that? What do you do? Now, I know you just got finished telling me that by the time the project gets to you, it's like it's already decided. I mean, they've well, already always. figured the, out what the solution there is. There are times and, where well, we decided to use Salesforce for this, but in terms of what logic or, or how much how much limitations is put on the system or how much we customize the UI in order to facilitate some kind of requirement, I mean, that's still up to the architecture side of things, and that's where I come in. Um, so I have had those battles. And lost those battles. Have you ever won the battles? I have won the battles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the the wins feel great, <laughs> uh, mainly because it ends up being something mutually beneficial to both sides. Like we both see, you know, the benefit of having some constraints. Uh, I, I when I when I talk about constraints and when I try to protect people and I try to steer their argument towards data integrity is what I try to do. I'm like, well, why do you want to do this? And it usually comes down to, well, because I need this report because this is how I'm being measured because this is. Mm. If I don't have this, this, if I don't show these results, I I lose my job. So it usually comes down to being able to report on data, but also there's a significant side of data integrity, making sure people are putting this data in so that I can report this up. Um, so I usually try to focus my efforts on enforcing the data integrity of the system and less about enforcing a certain process. So Meaning you, you have to do A, B, and C. It's like, no, 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 no. Just Let's just make sure that before they can cross C, the threshold to see that all of these, all this data is put in, yeah. that type of stuff. One, one thing that I, I think is a common example of this is people think that a users can't handle creating a record and then creating records in a related list of that record. That's too, that's too much. Oh, yeah, because... That's, they, and that's well, always been a complaint of Salesforce. The, the, right? problem, <laughs> the problem is most of these companies started with Excel. So... They do everything in Excel spreadsheet. They put everything in, and they have all this freedom to type in a cell. And it's it's a very denormalized data model, right? Yeah. Right. And they're the, used the to one, that. It's like it's kind of a. It's and they're like users kind of, aren't going to be able to go from you know, Excel to this. That, <laughs> that's kind of an instance of the the one database table to rule them all, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know we'll have one table with a million columns, and each one of it, you know. Cover all the data types, and <laughs> and then there'll be another table though that decodes and like gives <laughs> you have to join against to figure out what column is, you know, is column seventy two the account name or is column seventy three the account name? You know, it's like you don't know. <laughs> I know you're describing Salesforce's model, right? I pro- I think I am actually. <laughs> I think that's how they implement custom objects. You are. <laughs> <I know. laughs> mm, at least they had a fairly good reason for that. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, I just I don't know. Didn't know if you would have any uh, insight on that. I, I do try to uh, push back a little bit on those things, and I, I, mean, tr- I try to make people aware of okay, I can build it that way for you, but let's let me tell you what that means in the future. And then I think I think that's where 
being a consultant matters versus just being a developer. Yeah. You know, it's it's that type of situation. If you find yourself in that situation, you have to switch out of your See, developer hat. I might have cost them a, a couple thousand dollars more to do that thing, but I saved them twenty thousand dollars over the next two years. So boom, that's what, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I and I, I feel like we lose that a lot of times with the way some projects are structured. You know, some projects structure us as not consultants, as just bodies or de- yep. or resources, yep. or we're just a developer that yeah. that does what we're told. Um, at least in my role, at, you know, when I get to wear the architect People hat, people are not resources. <laughs> At least when I get to wear the architect hat, I have an opportunity to at least consult a little bit and to ask those questions and to to try to balance the conversation a little bit and and hopefully because I, I do care about users, I do care about what they do and how how they have to live in the system and what they're going to do. I, I try to envision what their day is going to be like and if this is really going to be better and if it's going to and also because I have to think about adoption too. If if management has overloaded them with so much data entry in order to get the reports that they say they have to have, um, you know, it, it leads to really low adoption. So you, you, as a consultant, as an architect, you do have to think about the users. You do have to think about how they're using it because that impacts adoption. Yeah. Yeah. That and that's the thing where like you 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 let the reports how you want to report dictate what your data model is. Well, there's so many, and even at that, one one of the things I. I I don't really enjoy it, but one of the things I find consistently and I don't know, take some delight in pointing out is that some of these reports and some of these things they 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 generate they generate consistently, monthly, weekly, daily. No one looks at them. You go up the chain of command and find out how many times did you look at this, or did you look at this, or did you read it, or or when they they just like that warm and fuzzy of having it. And so what I try to do in those situations is if you had a button that you could click to get that report, is that good enough? You know, versus getting these reports sent to you or getting this data real time or, or you know, those type of things and try to wean them off of it until maybe someday that requirement doesn't have to exist anymore. I feel like re- reports being emailed every night should make the hair on any good architect's neck stand up, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and the reason I do that is because when, whenever something is like a daily or email, that, 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 dictates, that dictates how the user has to use the system. Because this report has to come out tonight, that means the user has to have all their data entry in, in before they go home. Yeah, and so that that's why I think about things like that. I think about these daily reports, these weekly reports. I'm like, if you could run it whenever you wanted to, then operationally you can enforce that rule. You can say everyone has to have their stuff done by Friday because I'm going to run this report in this, and if not, you're going to get in trouble. Versus having the system enforce that, meaning you have to have it done or that it's not going to be in the report. Did and did the snapshots help help some of these cases? The snapshots, analytic snapshots. Uh, in some cases, that's 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 kind of good for showing a trend, but it's a snapshot of the actual data. And sometimes I need to summarize, pre-summarize the data, and and so I've had instances where I've had to pre-summarize late nightly. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's yeah, hmm. it, it no, I'll just say that. <laughs> All right, I don't have anything else. Um, I I, I heard something about um, Windows is now going to start like your Office three sixty five bundle will basically just include your Windows license now. So. Mm. And it's kind of already transitioned to that. Like my my Windows login is already tied to my Windows account and to my Office 365 account, so that like it's all in there. I'm hoping so you're a little merging. different because you don't have a like a PC, right? And I I two of asked two of my PC friends yesterday because I told them about this, and I was and I said, "When's the last time you you know bought Windows? I've never bought Windows. I just buy new computers." 
right? I buy new Windows. You do, and, and I, 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 you're you're quite different though because you you don't have a PC, and the only the only way you even run Windows is on a virtual machine, right? Which I have to buy a license which, for. Which actually, this thing makes sense for you, but for ninety eight percent of Windows users, it, I don't see how this makes sense because that's the that's the that's the problem or whatever, just the facts of the of Windows forever now has been the way that most Windows users get the next version is they buy a new PC. And that's why it's always been hard for Microsoft to get people to upgrade Windows. Well, usually a Windows upgrade's a disaster, but also people just don't want to mess with it. They just, you know, they buy a new PC every couple of years and that's when they get the new Windows. Yeah, but that means that, that they're not losing out on anything because the cost of a Windows license is already built into the cost of the PC. I'm not saying they're losing out, I guess. Okay. But also, if this... With it, this it just helps them be more competitive. I guess so. With the subscription model, does that mean that the, the PC OEMs don't have to buy and include a Windows license and no, build that into the cost of the PC anymore? They, they still do. Even if you buy the subscription yourself? You can't. I thought it was... I thought you are now. I thought you were buying the Windows subscription as a part of your thing. Well, I am, but I'm buying that from Microsoft, not from an OEM. Right, so if you bought a PC... Could you say, oh, no, don't charge me for Windows because I already, I'm, a, I'm already a licensee of Windows? I guess you could. I don't, I just don't they, think, they don't even sell CDs anymore. I don't think they're allowed. I don't, so unless, well, unless Microsoft is changing this, because I, I know well, that historically PC OEMs have, if you are partnered with Windows or yeah. partnered with Microsoft for Windows, you're not allowed to ship a single PC that doesn't have a Windows uh, yeah, license That's, that's what I'm going to say. I mean, it, it depends on who you buy from. If, if you buy from someone who has a relationship with with. Microsoft, they can't. Yeah. You're buying a PC with Windows on it. Right. If you buy someone who basically just sticks the box in the PC with you, then then that's a different story. Yeah. But most most of these guys, uh, there's white boxes. Everything's gone white subscription boxes, though. It's, it's such is a gone business. I think. I mean, you have the Dells of the world. I mean, it's, there's there's been some other like I think some some other prominent software recently that's gone subscription. I can't remember. What it was? Oh, well, one password has been in the news. Well, Adobe, of course. Yeah, creative. Did you? I mean, the big brouhaha over one password going subscription. I'm on it. Yeah, are you on a subscription? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even know. That. I just buy a new one when the new version. I'm on, comes I'm on family subscription. I, I have a family license, yeah. I think, but I don't. I don't think I'm on subscription. Yeah, there's a family subscription yeah. too. Well, it's, yeah, I, I think they still call it family. I don't know if they if it's gone to multi license or what, but it's yeah. either way. I have multiple licenses. But everything's moving to subscription, and I can already feel the the pain of. I don't I don't know if it's any different. I'm trying to see is it really that different of spending one off, you know, I don't know, let's say say 500 bucks for software versus spreading that over 12 months. The thing people are concerned about is is often someone will buy some software, thinking that oh this will be great I'll use the software and they end up really not using it. Um, or or the upgrade comes out, but it's it's not worth it for them. They don't use it often enough to buy the upgrade. They're fine with the old version, and there's none of that anymore. You're going to be paying for and getting the new version, whether you want it or not. If not, then you can't even use that old one anymore. You're canceled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a concern. It might make you a little more choosy about the software that you have and the software that you run. And then, you know, there's there's a lot more competition. And, and you have the advent of app stores, which makes it much easier to find and locate competing software. I mean, even Photoshop is finally getting a run for its money with, with some of these new tools that are available now Yeah, you can find on app stores. Yep. Very true. All right, well, I just want to say a real quick thank you to the people who, who needed a double XL shirt that sent me. Uh, a couple of you did. If I'm missing anyone, please, uh, if you haven't let me know, let me know. I also have discovered that uh, selling merchandise is definitely a, would be a failed model for us because apparently I can't even give shirts away. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single person took me up on an offer. 
to if you are a, a member in good standing the to uh just let me know and we got a lot of shirts that we can send out they're a sunk cost we already bought them <laughs> <laughs> all right so no merchandising yep. no uh but no. other than that uh we always need help uh spreading the word sharing sharing us on the socials telling your friends i don't know why you're ending this i got one more thing okay well that's when you would have stopped me about two minutes ago instead of making me look like an ass. <laughs> but I like you looking like an ass. <laughs> Makes for a great show. Okay, John. I just wanted to talk about Surf Force because I, I wanted to get that in. I haven't been talking about it, but I should be talking about it because we are sponsors. Yeah, we need to get our money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great event. I love the idea of going out and surfing. I just wish I could go. But yeah, I wish I could afford to go. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you, well, you, we spent, you, wait we spent, a minute. We, we should have sponsors. We don't get uh, like a, you know, a, a fully... Paid well, instead of sponsoring, we should have just gone and spent spent the money to get <laughs> yeah, there instead of sponsoring. But no, we uh, screwed that one up, didn't we? We, we did. We, we did that backwards. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, no, it's it's a great event. Uh, I think we, I think a few uh, GDS uh, Army guys are Army, Army guys. Is that what we're calling them? Uh, GDSers. Sure. <laughs> GDSers. I think we have some GDSers that are going to be speaking there. They got approval to. Oh yeah, um, just, just speak. I think uh, Roger Chuck. Right? Roger Chuck, and I think. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Brett. Brett Nelson. Brett. I thought there's right. one other person. There probably is. I, those are the ones I saw. Oh, well, sorry if I missed anyone, but yeah, uh, ping me and let me know, and I'll we'll announce that she'll be there speaking. Um, but yeah, should be fun. Uh, the keynote speaker is supposed to be Anne O'Day. Uh, I don't know who she is. Hmm. Don't either. A uh, co-founder of Silicon Republic. Fa- uh, Silicon Republic. Yeah, this is like a uh, one of your leading technology innovative news services. <laughs> I know. People are laughing right now. That's okay. Well, we're foreigners. We don't know this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it looks like the agenda, you know, you got some breakfast coming, uh, do some surfing, some lunch, some sessions, a dinner party. Wow. Some more breakfast and some more sessions on Saturday. That sounds like a good time. I know last time I covered the F- FAQs. Uh, and by the way, it's a serious conference where they get business done and they learn stuff. It's not just about surfing. Oh, I thought it was just about surfing. No, of course not. And I want to set the record straight on that. I thought it was about web surfing. Is <laughs> that, that a bad joke? Yes, that's a very bad joke. I thought it was about, about getting flipped and getting pitted and whoppa. Do you have that on the soundboard? You don't have that. Soundboard. He's a jackass. You don't have that on the soundboard. I mean, Our whole you're surf doubling down stuff. on being a jackass, John. <laughs> I don't have a... What do you mean? Like a... Oh, hang on. Oh, that uh, clip we put together. Oh, I don't know. I don't have a clip I put together. You got a Sean clip in there somewhere. <laughs> You know what? I don't know if I do have a Sean clip. I need one, though. Uh, we'll try to get him on so yeah. we can get some clips of him. Uh, FAQs. I love reading the FAQs. Are there shower facilities after surfing? I hope so. Yeah, apparently there's a steam room. Mm. So you can take bunch, a shower and get a of, steam room. A bunch of naked dudes hanging out together and get steaming. <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> can I bring a partner? Jeremy, will he be my partner? Nope. I love how this assumes that like the partner you're you going to read a, their whole website. No, okay, it, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna want to go. So if if you want to bring I've, a partner and they don't want anything to do with Salesforce or surfing, they can they can do walks, horse riding, mountain bike riding, spas, uh, gyms, water world, and there's cinemas. So you can go watch the new Spider Man. Bring a whole family. Yeah, Bundarin. You can go to Bundarin. Um, so, anyways, I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> I'll try to get Sean on here so he can be funnier yeah. than me. He's always a liar. Well, he's been bugging us, so. Yeah. 
got to, it's timing and just like figuring it out. That's the hard part. Anyway, so if you want to register, uh, registration is open. You can still register. Uh, get your butt to Boondarin. Uh, you can go to Surfforce or www.surfforce.co and uh, you can register. Cool. Wish I could go. I'm not even going to Dreamforce. How could I possibly go to Surfforce? I don't know. All right. Are we done, John? Do you have any more topics? Yes. Well, you better hurry up. To be a man, you must have honor. Yeah, you can't do that one. <laughs> okay, so we're wrapping up. All right. Um, we have a community, uh, uh, which we get together and communicate via a Slack team. So please come join us. Uh, people who are nice and helpful so and funny. I mean, there's, you know, we, we have fun. It's uh, gooddaysirpodcast.com. Click on community. Uh, reviews help in the iTunes or whatever other weird app stores, podcast stores, whatever they're called that, that exist. And uh, we don't have any, we didn't get any questions or topics or anything. So we need those. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Send us your topics, suggestions, feedback, questions. If you want us to do questions on the air, we by default will not uh, use your name unless you explicitly give us permission. Anything else from you, John? Slack channels while we're on the subject. Do we want to create one for every conference? Um, I tend to agree with Christy that that probably is not needed. We could just have one for conferences because they tend to not overlap that much. But I don't really care, I guess. That was my vote too, so that's okay. what we're doing. Okay. Case closed. I will create one called Conversations because I like that name. Conversation. Yeah, that was good. Who, who suggested that? Yeah. Anyway. Was it Brett? I, don't, I think it might have been Matt. Was it Matt, Matt? Morris? Anyway. Yeah, maybe. All right, John. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>